0: Okay, so Spanish class, high school. We're about to have the big Christmas pageant. And you gotta understand, the teacher hates me, hates me. He says stuff like, Washington, give me a reason. Just give me a reason. One more screw up and you're out of here, fail. Well, we're supposed to sing Feliz Navidad, right? But I can't sing that because I don't celebrate Christmas for my family. Christmas is a pagan affliction delivered by Satan. <laughs> Look, that's how I grew up, all right? So I go to the teacher. I tell him, teacher, I can't sing for now he died and stuff because I don't want to go to hell. And the teacher man says, listen, you're going to sing or you're going to fail. So there it was. For the merry celebration, we huddle in groups of four. And when he points to us, we're supposed to jump up and say, Feliz Navidad! And the teacher looks at me. He looks at me with authority. He looks at me with all the power of the high school faculty chair oozing from his pores. And I look at him with no power at all. He holds up his arms. He points at us. And three students jump up and shout, Feliz Navidad! At least Navidad. And I sit, watching them, watching him saying nothing. The teacher starts shouting, spittle flying from his mouth in rage. Washington, you, out of my class, to the principal's office, right now. Fail, fail. My ears ringing, I shuffle down the empty hallway, marching down to the principal's office, kicked out of class fail. No high school graduation? Man. I arrive at the office. Yes? I mumble to the lady that I need to speak with the principal. She gives me her, aren't you the worst person in the world look? But just like jail, before meeting the principal, I get one phone call to call my mom and dad. Not this time. Not again. I'm not going to call my mom and dad. I'm suffering an injustice here, and someone needs to know about it. Instead, I call the Grand Rapids Press. I tell the lady who answers, I say, looky here, my civil rights are being violated because I didn't want to sing Feliz Navidad. She says, she'll transfer me to a reporter. Then things start happening really quickly. Glenn... Who are you speaking to? The principal. He's in my face now. Oh, it is too late. I'm blowing the whistle on this whole operation. I tell him I've got the newspaper on the line. I tell him what just went down in class. I remember his eyes going wide. The principal, he grabs my arm. He walks me back to class. He pulls my seat out for me. He says, what a fine fellow I happen to be. And then he asks my Spanish teacher if they could speak in the hallway for just a moment. <laughs> just a moment. I don't even have to tell you the look the Spanish teacher gave me. When the shouting in the hallway stops, my teacher comes back into the classroom, walks to the front, and says through gritted teeth that the school celebrates people of all religious and ethnic backgrounds and will endeavor to respect their belief systems. Yeah, that's right, that's right. After class, I walked out with my head held high, but I couldn't stop whistling. This catchy little tune, this catchy little tune got stuck in my head. Today, on Snap Judgment, from PRX and NPR, we proudly present Rage Against the Machine. Stories where they've got plans for you, but you, you've got plans for them. My name is Lynn Washington, and this is Snap Judgment. We're going to kick off today's episode in the place of my birth, Detroit, Michigan. Shannon Kaysen is one of Snap's favorite storytellers, and people want to know why. I'll tell you why. Because lots of people can tell a story, but Shannon,
1: Shannon tells it like it is. When my mom left my dad, we moved from Detroit to e d is one of the only suburbs outside of Detroit that Detroiters look down on. But I ain't think about it. I was just a 12-year-old kid growing up. I never did much wrong. I even got involved with the Boy Scouts of America. Well, it's like this. I really didn't want to become a Boy Scout. Something about the name Boy seemed disrespectful. In that uniform with the little neckerchief and all the badges. Yeah, I ain't see myself wearing that. But the Boy Scout meeting was in a gym, and I love basketball.
0: Okay, calm down, guys.
1: The arrangement the troop leader made with me and my friends was if we become Boy Scouts, we would spend one hour in the Boy Scout meeting doing Boy Scout-y things.
0: Anybody line up?
1: Then the last hour, he would throw out a basketball.
2: All right, guys, go play hoops.
1: And we didn't have to wear a uniform, so I was in.
2: Stop cheering, picking.
1: The only kid who did actually wear a Boy Scout uniform was the troop leader's son, and we would torture him for wearing it. So one day I'm on my way to my Boy Scout meeting, and I had a dollar, so I stopped at the corner store to get some better made red hot chips and a Faygo peach, my favorite. And I hate it when people talk bad about my neighborhood, but, There was a drug raid going down at the corner store. And these weren't regular police, these were like evil police. It was like the police were high on meth and they were chasing after the crackheads. The police were called Drano, the Down River Area Narcotics Organization. That was their name, Drano. And I remember I was standing watching as Drano was cleaning up the streets they had on the combat gear and I'm watching like I'm watching a cartoon of G.I. Joe not thinking that I look like every other person that they're arresting so one of the Drano guys like Incredible Hawk leaps over to me and screams at me and throws me against the wall and then handcuffs me they put us all in a van the city ain't even have enough money for a proper paddy wagon it was just a van with the seats taken out It wasn't even orderly we were just all stuffed in back like slavery transport. They take us to this dungeon in the bottom of some building and they had us like lined up against the wall facing it and it's dark in the room and this may surprise some people but then to some probably not so much the police start whooping everyone's ass one cop Cut his hand punching someone, they just stomped that guy out. They got to me, and I think they knew I was young. I wasn't even in high school yet. But they called me out, and one of the officers, huge guy, dressed like a ninja turtle, he asked me, what you was doing out there? And I know he saw my fear. I told him, I was just going to my Boy Scout meeting. And he smacked me. It was a smack so hard it took a while for the pain to catch up with the actual sound of the smack. Don't lie to me, young man. What you was doing out there? I had to think about it. I think I was, um... Yeah, I was actually headed to Boy Scouts. And he smacked me again. So I'm not dumb. The next time I just told him what he wanted to hear. Uh, sir, I was out there. And I was, I was on the corner And I was selling drugs Then he didn't smack me anymore They eventually called my mom to come pick me up But she sends my dad Who's gonna take his own time to get there Then that officer who smacked me Calls me out again He's like, come here I ain't gonna hit you Come here And he said I want you to know you ain't gotta live this life, young man. I know it seems attractive. You see these guys, they got the cars, the women. They rapping about it. I grew up in the same neighborhood you did, young man. And I'm gonna tell you, that life doesn't pay. You either go in up dead or in jail. And I tell you, you come to jail through me, I'm gonna put my foot And it wasn't pleasant things he was saying he would do to me. But he went on. The only reason I feel for you and know it's not all your fault is because your drug dealing dad just showed up smelling like a weed factory. I should throw Bob Marley in jail right now. They got programs that can help you. They got the D.A.R.E. program. I'm involved in that. The Junior ROTC. I was involved in that. Get in one of these programs, young man. And I wanted to tell the guy, my dad actually doesn't sell drugs. He's a good dad. He just smokes a little weed. And you really don't have the right to put your hands on me like that. And I can't help but go to the corner. That's where the store is at, you big dummy. But of course I didn't say that. I said... Yes, sir. And left. I told my dad everything that happened and my dad tells me that this is all a part of growing up in the streets we live in. I didn't want to accept that. But what I did do, I asked my dad to get me a Boy Scout uniform. And every time I went to the corner store before my meetings, I stood there drinking my pop, eating my chips, just like before just wishing I'd run into that Drano cop again so I could tell him. I'm in a program, you big dummy. It's called the Boy Scouts. Coach. go Why we can't
3: practice long?
0: Shannon Kayson is a writer and award-winning storyteller and now... is completing his very first crime novel I wonder where he gets his material you can find out more about Shannon's world on his website shannoncason.com we're going to have a link on our website snapjudgment.org that piece was produced by Mr. Mark Ristich and when Snap Judgment the Rage Against the Machine episode continues we're going to battle the most powerful artificial intelligence system ever conceived we're going to run away from a pregnant lady And we're going to join High Society. All that and more when Snap Judgment continues. Stay tuned. Here's something that's going to surprise you. You ready? You ready? You should be snacking more. More. Well, here's why. Naturebox.com. NatureBox offers hundreds of delicious snacks. Delicious! And you don't have to feel guilty about eating them, because they're better for you. They're natural with zero trans fat, zero high-fructose corn syrup. They've even got snacks that are low in sugar, non-GMO, without gluten they ship for free. You know that. Cranky moment around 3 p.m. when you're ready to tear into anything. Well, rather than go to the vending machines, why don't you grab some peanut butter nom from Nature Box, or maybe some baked sweet potato fries, or their dark cocoa almonds. No more hungriness, no more crankiness, it's not necessary. Now get ready to be really happy. If you try Nature Box right now, you're gonna get 50% off your first month's box. Just go to natureboxcom snap. You should be snacking, but you gotta snack smarter. Stay full, stay strong. Go to naturebox.com slash snap to get 50% off your first month's box, naturebox.com slash snap, naturebox.com slash snap.
1: Thanks for listening to Snap. It's just one of many great NPR podcasts like Planet Money, which gives you a look at the economy from all angles, from Silicon Valley to Detroit to Uganda check out the Planet Money podcast from NPR on iTunes.
0: Welcome back to Snap Judgment, the Rage Against the Machine episode. And today, man, Snap's decided not to be another cog in the wheel, man. You know what I'm saying? We're going to grow our hair long, man. We're going to ride the open road. Don't try to keep us in your corporate button-up 401k premium gasoline world no see one of the best ways that we know to stick it to the man or to a higher power or to your upstairs neighbor is to just sing your heart out and that's exactly what paul coffin does take it away paul
3: I was young, my granddad was a song leader in the church and his twin brother was the preacher. and It was this little small Church of Christ in East Texas. He taught me how to sing harmony when I was about six. Me and my two sisters were put in a bathtub. He would hum a note into your ear and he taught us how to really listen. I became a good singer at a young age. You know, I sang in the church a lot. Super conservative, Church of Christ. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, three times a week thing. The rules of the Church of Christ. You don't sing with an instrument. Our voice is a voice that was given to us by God, and God only is kind of the thing. And I love to go in in community and sing with 400 people, all a cappella in a room. That's freaking awesome. This old lady who sang, and he had a boom in like opera soprano voice and like my granddad gave her a little nod from the stage and she'd just be killing it. my granddad was you know when he was diagnosed with cancer well i was 10 years old and he didn't have long to live and he died about two months later so it was real fast it was terrible you know it I had to grow up really fast because right after that, I mean, my parents got a divorce and it was me and my two sisters and my mother and we were real broke. I would say that I was—I chose more of a rough past due to having to grow up so soon at a young age. Once I learned how to really drink beer and whiskey, I really did it with a meaning, so, and smoking pot and everything else, everything under the sun. Well, what happened is I got caught with weed, got put on uh, probation, partied, and got caught with some drug charges. They gave me the sentence that I'm gonna have to do six months. My mom was freaking the hell out right before I went in there, you know? And she was like, "Don't be, don't be scared. And she's crying. I was like, how am I supposed to not be scared when you're crying? And they handcuffed me and put me in jail buttoned up and taken to the pumpkin patch out on Highway 69, wearing my orange jumpsuit onesie, you know. There's three tanks. Three tanks that could hold probably about 15 to 25 people in each tank. Uh, First tank I look in is all white people. Second tank, all Mexican and Asian. Third tank, all black people. And so I was like, wow, what in the hell have I stepped into? Now I'm seeing real life segregation and all this stuff going on, you know? So there's only room in the African-American tank. I mean, they're bringing me in real late. These guys all wake up at 4.30 in the morning to go out to work, so the most annoying thing is when somebody's coming into their bunk and having, just waking everybody up, you know? I go to the very back corner and they said, okay, take that, and the officer shines the light into that top bunk in that corner and I walk over there and I'm a big guy so it's tough for me to just hop on a top bunk so um I used the foot of the bottom bunk which was this guy Tony this uh guy with a gold grill and that guy said hey boy that'll be the last time you step on my bed and I was like oh right I'm sorry sir and I get no sleep that night I was just kind of paranoid more than anything You could possibly be killed or shanked or hurt or beat up or raped or whatever goes through anybody's head in jail. You know, yeah, those things can eat you up or you can be like, you got to be cool. You got to not piss off anybody. Can't get too close to anybody. I mean, if all else failed, you know, I was going to keep to myself. Started going out the county road and bridge department that next morning. It's chain gang work where you're hooked up and you go out in vans and go fix the county roads and bridges around East Texas. When you're moved from the jail and transport, you're chained to the next person next to you. And then when you go out, there's guys with guns. Breaking rocks down, singing, All on the highway, they went like that you know it's not oh brother where art thou <laughs> but close you know i'd work walk behind an asphalt truck pick out the rocks big rocks out of the black tar and it's real hot as hell you know it was me old school reverend now tony Castaneda. never forget this guy in and out of jail for nine years got out four different times never got out for more than three days well he said, Man, I haven't had a burger in, in like seven years, man. And I was like, Yeah, well, tomorrow I'll try to figure out how we can do this. No way, man. How are you going to get a passage? And I was like, Dude, I'll figure out a way. And I'd find out where we're going the next day. I called my dad and I called my mom. I was like, Okay, tomorrow morning at 10 a.m., you need to drop off a bunch of water burger cheeseburgers and a bunch of fries over here because I'm going to feed the whole crew. And I told my sergeant, I know that you're going to have to go all the way back to the other side of town on Highway 69 and I-20 to get some food and bring us back bologna sandwiches. Or you can let these bags of cheeseburgers that I just had my mom and dad drop off behind that building right there, and you can look at those, and you can have one yourself. There's a bacon cheeseburger in there with your name on it. And he said, all right. All these guys haven't had real food in years. It was like eating a burger for the first time. It felt like that time on that movie Shawshank Redemption on that roof when they're tarring the roof and all those guys get to drink those beers. I was like, oh my God, I feel like Andy Dufresne. (laughs) We didn't eat eat all the burgers because, I mean, our stomachs haven't been eating real food. And when you just start grubbing on something greasy, you know, it's just like, oh, your stomach. So we tried to smuggle the burgers back in into the jail walking in and we each have two burgers in our little onesie and they pat us down and they find all these burgers and they say all right we're giving you 10 minutes 10 minutes to eat all that and so we sat there and we, we we're still full but we just gave said this is for the guys inside So uh, Tony later, he said, so tell me why you're in here and, you know, ask me all these questions. That kind of made it to where, OK, I'm sorry for stepping on your bed. And now we're friends. Let's smoke cigarettes and shoot. The sh- well, we started singing gospel songs. Well, We start freaking get the pins, you know, do that kind of stuff, you know, and we'd get styrofoam cups and cut out the bottom of the. Of the cup, and make our own little microphone, you know. Six,
4: one two, Ooh, way, I got you.
3: We'd all sing this three-part harmony, old hymns that my granddad taught me. Well, I'm so tired and so weary, but I must go home till the Lord. By about the fourth or fifth Sunday, it was standing room only in that cell. Oh, yeah. There will be peace in the valley for me someday. Be when you can, for some reason, music and singing and singing with somebody brings you close, you know, and you feel you get a warm sensation over you. You feel good. The people that, uh, that don't talk much or kind of keep to themselves. For some reason, that Sunday, they'd come out and you'd hear them singing or they'd have something to say or something to offer to talk about. Talk, Not talk about the Bible or, or anything. They'd talk about life, you know, and that was one thing. It was probably one of the best churches I'd been to. Shoot. I do remember one time when we did sing uh, Peace in the Valley. Our buddy Reverend Al is what we called him. And uh, he uh, he kind of choked up a little bit because, you know, one of the songs was singing his grandmother's funeral or something. And then he talked about that. It was just real talk. All of a sudden, it was me and five black guys that became my best friends. We hug like Ken, we're family. We have a bond that's beyond, you know. We've been at the lowest point of our lives together. Singing together with some folks in jail brought joy and brought some light at the end of the tunnel for me because I I knew what I had to do when I got out. And I guess the recognition of being able to just put together a little singing group in the jailhouse kind of let me realize I can put together a group anywhere
0: heads the band, Sons of Fathers. They just put out a new album called Burning Days. Check it out. They're on tour across the US of A. That piece was produced by Stephanie Fu. And speaking of Stephanie Fu, she likes to take things literally. And I told her, I said, Stephanie, don't be such a drag. Even smoking the company line you gotta loosen up. Come on, the rules are made to be broken. It's time to rage against the machine, lady. Rage! Come on! Well, Stephanie, Stephanie promptly brought me a story about raging against a machine. A real machine and someone raging against it. Stephanie Fu, take it away.
5: Okay, yes. This story is about chess. But not just any chess game. One of the most famous ever.
3: Deep Blue and Gary Kasparov, the world chess champion of the IBM supercomputer. It's
5: 1997. World chess champion Gary Kasparov versus Deep Blue, a computer designed by IBM. And for people who wanted to believe that the human brain was still stronger than computers, this was a huge deal.
3: Says international chess master Maurice Ashley, the future of humanity is on the line.
5: Now the weather. Now Kasparov has never lost a match, ever. He was destroying all the grandmasters at the age of 22. He's even beaten Deep Blue once before. So he's going into this rematch totally confident. And true enough, bam, Kasparov wins game one, easy. But then game two is where everything starts to go wrong. In this match, Deep Blue is dominating. Kasparov is visibly frustrated. He's rubbing his face, sighing. And then, abruptly, Kasparov just walks off the stage. He quits, forfeits the game. The night after the game, his fans analyze the match and figured something out, something Kasparov an undefeated grandmaster, should have seen. If he had not stormed off the stage and just played his normal game, he could have tied Deep Blue. for a draw, the match
2: now stands at one game apiece.
5: Now, the match was best of five games, with Kasparov eventually losing the whole thing. But the turning point was when he forfeited that match. So since 1997, people have always speculated. What happened in game two? Did he quit because the computer was really so much smarter than he was? Then recently, this book by Nate Silver came out, called The Signal and the Noise. In it, Murray Campbell, one of the engineers who created Deep Blue and who was at the match, comes out and says that he thinks he knows what really happened. And he says it starts in the first game, the game Kasparov won
2: near the end of game one, Kasparov had reached a very strong position. It was clearly to any chess expert in the audience that Deep Blue was going to lose in the long run.
5: But here's where it gets interesting. At the end of the game, Deep Blue did something weird. It committed suicide.
2: Deep Blue was calculating a particular move that it could make that would prolong the game as long as possible. And then, at the last second... It switched to a completely different move and, and played it. Rook to D1. And this particular move was really bad. And, and so it caused us to give up the game right away.
5: This really bad move confused Kasparov. Murray says he heard Kasparov's team stayed up that night, trying to analyze the logic behind that move, what it meant. Only thing was, there was no logic.
2: The more obvious explanation is that there was a bug. Uh
5: Uh-oh. A glitch. The kind of plot twist only a nerd could love.
2: Due to a bug in the program, unfortunately, it had played a random move.
5: But Kasparov didn't know that. And Murray guesses that Kasparov was so caught up thinking the machine knew something that he didn't that he lost it. And the whole rest of the match was a landslide.
2: My theory is that Kasparov might have seen the drawing opportunity, but didn't because he was overestimating Deep Blue's capability and assuming that it was incapable of making a mistake that would allow a draw. Deep Blue was very strong, but it wasn't that strong. And I don't know if this is true or not. I think we'll never know unless um, Kasparov says himself but you probably won't get to talk to him because he doesn't like to talk about this subject.
5: Yeah, Kasparov spent a lot of time suggesting that IBM cheated, and he hasn't really talked about the game for many years. Until now.
6: You have to understand he's a little frustrated talking about this stuff over and over again sometimes.
5: That's Mick Greencard. He's been Kasparov's aide, publicist, and confidant for 14 years, and he's here to speak on Kasparov's behalf.
6: He's authorized me to, to, to talk with you about it. I talked with Gary about it.
5: It being the glitch.
6: In what he said to me, he said, it's ridiculous. That move had no impact on his subsequent play. And it had no impact on him. That's it. Move on. So that's all really I can, uh, that I can go with is the, the horse's mouth.
5: So maybe Murray is wrong about the glitch. But, Mig says, he's not wrong about Kasparov having a sort of mental breakdown. It just happened a little later. Mick told me that Kasparov was used to playing with computers. He thought he had them all figured out. Kasparov had certain traps that he would set, lures for computers, and computers would always fall for them. So in game two, Kasparov set his trap and waited.
6: He had this assumption that, well, of course, being a computer, it's probably going to play this, this, and this, and this.
5: But it didn't. It didn't take the bait. I see what you're up to.
6: It plays something else.
5: Something good
6: something that not only is not the predicted computer move, but a very, very strong move.
5: So you're saying that this is the moment where basically he was psyched out.
6: Right. It was just very, Mm -hmm. I think a very confusing, very disorienting experience. You have to then sit down at the board, not really knowing what you're facing. Can I still try to trick it? Does it still play like a computer? Does it make mistakes at all? So it was psychologically damaging to Gary in that he realized this was a whole new animal.
5: And then, after that really awesome move, Deep Blue actually makes another bad move. Uh, I guess I'll play this. This bad move is the one that allows Kasparov to tie. But Kasparov is too convinced he's going to lose to see the fault.
6: Like, well, no way the computer would allow that. That can't be there. Whereas against a human, you think, why not? Maybe he made a mistake in his calculations. I'll give it a shot. But against the computer, you get the be- the computer gets the benefit of the doubt. How could something play like God then play like an idiot in the same game?
5: In a way, that's like a total machine mistake, though, right? Because since the machine doesn't have a specific style or personality, Like, each different move that it makes could be brilliant and idiotic.
6: Sure, sure. Of course, when he resigned, he he didn't know any of this, which itself was demoralizing and humiliating.
5: So essentially, what Mig's saying is that Deep Blue wasn't necessarily as smart as we all thought. Deep Blue didn't have this magnificent triumph over Kasparov. It was more that Kasparov forced himself to fail.
6: It actually turned out to be a bit of a a red herring as far as artificial intelligence goes. It turned out that it didn't have to emulate human thought to beat the world champion. It didn't even have to play great chess, but it both mostly revealed that humans aren't perfect. Humans make mistakes. They certainly, it turned out to be less complicated than we'd hoped.
5: <laughs> Deep Blue could calculate 200 million possible moves per second, but it was Kasparov who was overthinking it.
0: Thanks so much to Megan Murray for helping us out on that piece. And of course, you've got to check out the almighty Nate Silver's book, The Signal and the Noise. And yes, that piece was produced by Stephanie Fu. We've got issues against the machine today on Snap. And when we return, the man tries to corrupt me with all the free food I can stuff into my mouth. And... We're going to illegally destroy private property just because we can. When Snap Judgment, the Rage Against the Machine episode continues, rock on and stay tuned.
5: Support for Snap Judgment comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.
0: Today's Snap Podcast is supported by Stamps.com. It's quick, convenient, and easy to use. That's how you describe Stamps.com. It makes your mailing and shipping a breeze. Because with Stamps.com, you can buy and print official U.S. postage using your own computer and printer. There's nothing to learn, and Stamps.com will give you a digital scale that automatically calculates exact postage for any letter or any package. They'll even help you choose the best class of mail. To get your mail there on time for the least amount of money. Drop your mail into any mailbox or hand it to your postperson, and you are done. Never have to go to the post office again. And right now, there's a special offer for listeners of the Snap Podcast, a no-risk trial, plus a $110 bonus offer, including that digital scale and up to $55 in free postage. Don't wait. Go to Stamps.com. Before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in SNAP that's stamp.com enter SNAP and happy mailing
1: what if you could call up a friend and say meet me at the cafe and tell me what's going on with the economy now imagine that's actually a fun conversation now stop imagining and subscribe to the Planet Money podcast you can find Planet Money on iTunes along with other NPR podcasts
0: Welcome back to Snap Judgment from PRX and NPR, the Rage Against the Machine episode. My name is Glenn Washington, and for our next story, a young Pat Masidi Miller, he had his own beef with the machine. And you kids let like this story be a good lesson to you. Pat, tell us how it went down.
4: Back in junior high, we were all like little skater punks. Skater kids, right? And when we used to go skate, it was like 20, 30 little kids. It was like a flood of skaters coming down the street. You could hear us from blocks away. It was like... Every day after school, until the sun went down. We were unruly. And we just kind of did whatever we wanted. Didn't care if the people yelled at us. We used to pull pranks on people, mess with the businesses. It was a bunch of dumb mischief all the time. Mischief. So one day, it was me, Tommy, and Jared. And Jared was the best skater. He, he, he ended up being pro. And so we were skating one day, and near the junior high, there was a roller skating rink behind it there was an alleyway that we used to skate through and what they used to do is they would wax the floor of the roller skating rink and then open the back doors to air it out we come through the alleyway and we see that the back doors open and so i walk over peek my head in and it's just glossy pristine hardwood floor fresh wax and I'm like oh fellas let's go skate so we jump over the little guard rail and we're floating on the rink it's just like the smoothest cleanest slickest surface my skate wheels had ever touched before we're like Synchronized skating, carving around, sliding, laughing, having all kinds of fun. So we're coming around a lap, curving a bend, and I hear a door bust open.
3: Ah! What the hell are you little kids doing?
4: I look up, and it was this pregnant woman screaming, cussing at us and stuff. And like, she was like super pregnant, like she was about to burst, she was so pregnant. So I'm thinking like, okay, she's not going to be able to catch us. And you can't walk on the rink because it's just freshly waxed. It's all slick. And so the woman, she runs out the front. We jump out of the back door and book it. Going as fast as we can, pushing, pedaling, hopping curbs, jumping down driveways, all that stuff. And we make it down like 10 blocks away from the rink to a skate spot that we used to frequent. It was like this ledge in front of this guy's house. And when we get to the skate spot, we hear, uh, come around, and I kid you not, a white suburban comes, like, fishtailing around the corner. We're like, oh, damn, like, what is that about? And then it guns it towards us. This is like a neighborhood, residential area, you know? And it's going, like, 40, 50, 60 miles an hour, slamming. And it comes right up and just stops in front of us and then boom out pops a pregnant woman and she's like I saw you doing that you're the kids who've been skating the roller rink I got you stop don't move don't go anywhere the cops are on their way you're busted I was like what, what do you mean she's like I know what you did I saw all three of you in there <coughs> cops come there's three of us so they want to split us up so we don't talk to each other Jared gets taken one way and he looks back at me and gives me a nod. He knows the drill. Tommy gets taken the other way and we lock eyes and I'm like, okay, we got this. We got this. So the cop starts questioning me and I just start lying through my teeth right from the jump. No wishy-washy about it. My story is this. I'm like, we've been here the whole time, just skating the curb. This guy, Greg, this is his house. We skate here all the time after school. You can knock on the door. He'll vouch for us. We've been here for hours. We didn't do anything wrong. Like, this lady's just a nut. She got in her car, started driving around, found the first kids on skateboards, and that's us. I had the cops wrapped up like a gift. They were like, you're okay, kid. Like, this is the wrong place, wrong time. And then the other cop comes up, and he's like, asking me a couple questions, thinks he's slick. And then he says, well, what if I told you that uh, next to the roller skating rink, there used to be a bank? And at the bank, uh, they used to have a camera. What if I told you that camera is still running? If I go back and get the tapes from that camera, am I going to see you guys on it? And I was like, go check them out, man. You're not going to see us on there. That's for certain. Whoever it was, I don't know who it was, but it's not going to be us. Because we didn't do that. We've been here. And I was like, one, there did used to be a bank back there. But now it's an ice cream shop. And I'm pretty sure the bank, after it moved, didn't decide that they might as well just keep the surveillance camera in the parking lot or whatever. Like, they're not, this, this, he was bluffing. Cops split us up. And so my one friend, Tommy, he was across the street. And when the cop is walking over there, I'm like, oh no, he's gonna give him the camera trick. And so I kind of like wave at him. And like the cop looks back at me and I'm like, (whistles) I hide my hands like I wasn't trying to wave him down. And then when the cops have their back to me, start giving him the movie sign from charades, right? And say, no, no, don't do it. There's no camera. There's no camera. They're lying. There's no camera. And then I'll never forget his face he looks up at the cop and then looks over at me and then looks up at the cop and then looks at me and looks up at the cop and then he bursts into tears just like full on crying, tears running down his cheeks, screaming high pitched voice, the whole thing and I'm like man it's done Like, how are you just gonna cry Oh, and it was like it was like at the age where it's like you're too old to be crying, you know what I mean? Can't be crying, but he was wailing. He came clean. He told them that we were the kids who were in there, and and so we were busted. He blew it. He blew it for all three of us, and they got him with the camera line. And they wrote us tickets for vandalism, and the pregnant woman grinning ear to ear. She, like, had her arms folded and was shifting her weight back and forth and just like, "Mm mm-hmm, you little punks, that's what you get. Just super happy that we were getting in trouble. Part of the deal was we had to go back to the roller skating rink and do, like, 40 hours of community service. Forty hours of that summer I spent scraping paint off the roller palladium's walls. Skating rink is still there. Oh, and I think I'm permanently, indefinitely, forever banned from the skating rink. They told me that I'm never allowed to go in there again for the rest of my life. They have like a little mugshot of me when I'm a little kid or something behind the counter. Don't rent skates to this guy. It was stupid.
0: Thank you, Pat. Snap Judgment Legal insists that we note Pat no longer engages in wanton property damage, obeys all local laws and regulations, and is in fact a productive tax-paying member of society. Duly noted. Okay, so when I started school at the University of Michigan, I was a bit intimidated. I told my Grammy that I heard there were some fancy kids there with their trust funds and their dinner jackets, and I was nervous because I didn't know if they wouldn't like me or not. And she said, don't worry about them, baby. You let them worry about you. <laughs> well. I moved into this place with three other guys and actually granny was right so what I didn't have a lot of money no one seemed to mind and then my new roommate he says hey hey my dad's a new member at the country club and I want you guys to be my first guest country club me (laughs) I always thought they feasted on roasted black folk in places like that but I didn't want to be rude so I win. And we walked through the mahogany door. We sat down in their cushioned seats. And lots of people came. And they called me, sir, unironically. My roommate told me his father had a bet with some other Richie Rich, right? That whoever rang up the biggest tab would win some kind of bragging rights. And my roommate was straight Skippy. We've got to win. We have to win. So order whatever you want. Order two of them. So the waiters kept on coming with crab and steak tartare and pork and desserts they set on fire and all kinds of stuff. We ate and ate until we could not eat another pecan-encrusted mouthful. So the next day, he invited all of us to go back out there again. Cool. Then again, (laughs) and again and finally I had to tell him I didn't want any peach compote a la mode for breakfast or whatever I just want some cornflakes man and I'm not gonna choke down any lobster bisque at 2 o'clock in the afternoon I was a pretender anyway everyone there knew I had tricked some rich kid and was taking advantage but my roommate begged me to go Man, I just want my dad to win this contest. Who cares about a stupid contest? My dad cares. If he wins, then he'll know that he's arrived. (sighs) Rich people problems. But my roommate was begging, All right, man, let's go polish off a rose quail with some of that balsamic reduction. Now, it's only a couple days later in econ class, right in front of me, I see a couple of those guys. Country club guys. And the tall, good-looking guy in the corduroy jacket tells the other tall, good-looking guy in the corduroy jacket, he says, Dude, at the club, it's the most ridiculous thing. Some imbeciles, they're busy inflating their expenses for show, dude. They're feeding people off the street, man. We're like a homeless shelter now. And the other one, He says it like it's received wisdom passed down from the landed gentry. He says, dude, don't you know it, man? New money is always stupid money. (laughs) I couldn't help it. I laughed. When they look back, I pretend that there was something funny in the econ textbook. I go back to my crib and my roommate is crazy happy. We did it. We did it my father won his bet we have arrived nobody can say jack to us now moving on up <laughs> right on brother congratulations let's wash down a juicy lobster with some of that Madeira 97 to celebrate <laughs> and I'm like man come on I know you think I'm a jerk he says well yeah kinda I do but I don't hold it against you. And he's like, please, just come with me. And I think about it. And I have to live with this guy. So we go to the club. And before we even get out of the car, I see the neckties, the shiny shoes, the cufflinks. And I look over and my roommate is breathing heavy like he's preparing for something horrible. And I'm like, man, what are we doing? You don't even want to be here. Of course I want to be here. And I tell him, I've got an idea. Let's road trip to my grandmother's house in Detroit instead. Your grandmother? Really? Is she going to like me? Why are you so worried if someone's going to like you? (laughs) And I laugh at myself as soon as I say it. But Rumi's worked himself into a lather. Is she going to like me? And I'm honest no she's not gonna like you then why because we're gonna eat real food but and look if and when my grandmother does like you (laughs) then you'll know you've really arrived Congratulations. You have subverted the system and made it to the end of the episode. They didn't want it to happen. What? Well, you missed some? No worries. You can fight the power with full episodes, pictures, stories, stuff available right now at SnapJudgment.org. Our Twitter handle, SnapJudgmentORG. Stick it to the man and friend snap on Facebook. Snap was produced by myself and America's most wanted radio outlaws. Run and hide from the Jesse James of the Airways, the Uber producer, Mr. Mark Ristich. If the beats are rocking, don't come knocking for Pat and CD Miller. Stephanie Fu is lactose intolerant and she absolutely won't stand. For any lactose. Anna Sussman turned off the tracking functions on her phone. Nick Vanderkolk rages against the mean. Julie DeWitt believes humans and dinosaurs live together in harmony. Renzo Gorio can take a punch like a real man. Triumph. And Will Urbina personally invented all the modern dance crazes you see on the YouTube there. One corporation we can vouch for is the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. And again, I apologize for speaking as a representative when I was trying to buy that circus. Much love to CPB. PRX, the public radio exchange, has the power. They demand the public listen to public media, whether they like it or not. PRX.org. This is not the news. No way is this the news. In fact, for a laugh, you could set up one of those coffee stands that serve $25 shots of espresso. And when the yuppies come running from far and wide to give you all of their money, you would still not be as far away from the news as this is. But this is
3: N.P.R.